0: Have you checked out the new Brian Nichols Show collection over at Proud Libertarian? Head to BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash shop and you can grab some amazing Liberty swag that will definitely help pique some interest from our Good Ideas Don't Require Force snapbacks, Alexa Overthrow the Government t-shirts, Question Everything mugs, and of course our ever popular Don't Hurt People, Don't Take People's Stuff bumper sticker. The Brian Nichols Show shop over at Proud Libertarian has all the Liberty swag you need. And hey, if you're looking for more awesome Liberty apparel, check out the rest of the amazing Proud Libertarian store while you're over there. And be sure to use code TBNS at checkout to get 10% off your entire order. That's right, 10% off your entire order from Proud Libertarian including everything over at the Brian Nichols Show shop. And all you have to use is code TBNS at checkout. One more time, head to Show.com forward slash shop and check out the brand new Brian Nichols Show store over at Proud Libertarian and use code TBNS at checkout for 10% off your entire another Libertarian Party chair candidate, Angela McArdle. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us and thank you for returning to the program. I think this is your third time here on the program. First time you were on the show, you were actually seeking the nomination to be the LP chair back in 2018. Correct me if I'm wrong there. 2018? 2020? 2020. Wow, time really does fly, doesn't it? 2020. And uh, then the last time you were in the show, we talked about who is our target market, which we will be discussing a little bit in detail today. Uh, I know I'm, I'm excited for it because I just had Tony D'Arazio on the program, who is uh, your competitor for the LP chair role. And I must say, I'm going to start off here. I am so excited the way that you and Tony have approached this campaign. You have both been so civil. You have both been so kind towards one another. And I know we were talking off air. You both have a, a Civil working relationship behind the scenes. How refreshing and how important is it for to have you guys leading by example? Thank you um, for that. So I start there, Angela. But let's uh, start things off here, reintroducing yourself to the Brian Nichols Show audience. It's been a little bit since you were on the program, so we've been growing. We have a lot of new people who are listening to the show, and obviously uh, a lot has changed. Even though it's been less than a year since you were last in the show. COVID. It just seems to make everything change really, really fast. So, Angela, what's new in your world out in Los Angeles, out on the West Coast? Uh, and uh, specifically, I guess, you're now looking towards the LP chair role. How's that going? And, and what got you looking to be the uh, candidate here for the LP chair?
1: Okay, so uh, that was a lot of a questions. A I know, a lot.
0: All. Shame on me.
1: I want to answer them all. <laughs> There's major things happening in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, the LA County Libertarian Party has filed an initiative to overturn la's mandatory uh, vaccination program the the vaccine mandate so in the city of Los Angeles you've got to show proof of vaccination in order to enter any indoor business except for a church a grocery store and a drugstore it's it's outrageous and so we filed an initiative to overturn the mandate it's just like the recall petition like it's not a change.org thing it's a binding legal document. And we launched over the weekend and there has been an outpouring of support. Surprising, like we're getting a lot of support from people on the left, too. Uh, So that's what's happening. We have been all over every single local news station. We have uh, we have captured the narrative at this point of mainstream news. And it's really exciting, really exciting.
0: It is very exciting, and I know I gave you a lot of questions that are start off. Shame on me, Brian. That was a bad example of how I do it to start off a good interview because I didn't give you the chance to address all three of those in one breath, which... I know I like to do a lot of that in one breath. I'm sorry, folks, folks here in the show. They're like, Brian goes on like four minute monologues and doesn't take a breath. So of course he's asking his guests to do the same. So let's rewind, Angela. Yes, you've been busy out in LA and maybe it's good that we had you kind of start off there talking about the context of what's going on because I'm seeing this as I just moved to Indiana. A lot of people don't realize how bad it is on the coasts, especially in these predominantly blue cities. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, so thank you, by the way, for, for doing what you're doing because without folks like you fighting. The a good fight and fighting back, frankly, um, I don't yes. think that they would be really looking to get rid of any of these mandates anytime soon. Um, but how about this? Let's kind of go back now to the first question of the set of three questions that I asked you originally, and that was being, who are you? Yes, you've been on the show before, but there is a new audience here sure. for the Brian Nichols Show. And I guess the who are you question correlates very quickly into the why you're running um, aspect for the LP chair role. So Angela, let's get, dig into that. Who are you and why are you running for LP
1: chair? So I chair the Libertarian Party of Los Angeles County. I'm on the California Libertarian Party Executive Committee at the state level. And I am also a board member of the National Mises Caucus PAC and, uh, you know, one of their organizers. And I also chair the California Mises Caucus, which is a state level PAC. So that's that's a little bit about me. I've got you know my hand. I got my fingers in a lot of pies and I'm very busy and. I'm very, very focused on, on you know, improving messaging for the Libertarian Party and being outspoken on mandates and lockdowns. And, and that's what inspired me to run. So in 2020, you had me on as a guest. Uh, that's a great episode. I'm sure you can link to it in the show notes or something. And, and I talked about my frustration with the National Party and their failure to speak out against the lockdowns. They didn't say anything for an entire year which is not good now I appreciate that there has been a, a shift in messaging there has been a change in tone but it is still not quite up to snuff um, so that's one of that was the main reason that I started running and for national chair and once I started really digging in and looking at the budget and the financials and the membership numbers sort of our overall trajectory since the 1980s I thought geez this is this party is like It's like an amazing vehicle for the most beautiful philosophy in the world. And we have dropped the ball time after time after time. There's no solid leadership. There's no strategic planning. No one can explain how to get things done. There's no cohesive culture. So those are some of the things that I want to change. and, And I feel very confident that I can. And a lot of this is related to the work that we're doing in L.A., you know, being that voice for people who are lost in the darkness right now, the political wilderness, who need someone to advocate for them. So that's what I'm all about. That's why I'm here.
0: That's why you're here. And, and frankly, this is why I think you saw such a push back in after 2020 for you to run again. Because I think people saw how strongly you reacted to the lockdowns. And not only just how you reacted, but also how you took charge. And you really made it a point to not just talk, but to lead by example. And you put that into action, and now you are, are actually fighting back and having a chance to fight back and win. Which, can we really celebrate too many times as Libertarians actual wins? Let's let's focus on those wins and you know funny yeah. enough I just had Tony as I mentioned on the show um, your, your competitor and he mentioned that as well he wanted to focus on uh, really celebrating those wins so I would dare say that would be an area you two would would agree and, and thankfully Angela I think right now we we have as you mentioned seen a big change from LP National and unfortunately and this is one of the questions I I raised to Tony as well is that it seems as a little too late it seems like we we, when I say a little too late. It was a year too late. We were, and, and some yep. change. Um, and one of the, the responses I had heard from Tony was that part of the problem was that LP National was just a little slow to respond. And I see merit in that 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 position. That you know that we were just slow to respond. And frankly, it was a lot of unknowing and people being concerned with taking such strong, definitive positions on a lot of things that we just frankly did not know but there were certain things, and and I I pushed back a little bit, you know, uh, tongue-in-cheek here with with Tony, that we did know, just how this is a complete, you know, usurp of our our rights, and this is, frankly, not really an area that we should be waffling too much for libertarians, and I pointed out how, in the the greater podcasting world, you know, we had to to react real-time, and we didn't really have too much of an issue. I think you look at pretty much the major libertarian podcasts that are out there, those major voices, all of our audiences have been growing. Um, And I think it's predominantly because we've been so strong on the most important issue for the past two years. So it does kind of, I don't know, it, it seems like a little bit of a weak, answer, and I'm not picking fun at Tony, because this is across the board where we saw this response from folks in in the more, I'd say, establishment LP that, well, we we didn't know what we didn't know. Well, no, there's a lot that we did know and a lot that we should have known, um and we didn't react appropriately. So I asked this question for Tony, Angela, and I'll ask this question to you. What would you have done differently? How would Cut. an Angela McCardle campaign or not campaign uh chairmanship chair chairpersonship chairladyship um looked like uh when we're addressing these these lockdowns especially um having the the mouthpiece of the the libertarian party
1: okay so there were several things that happened in the past that made it so difficult for the national party to speak out against lockdowns and and the knee-jerk response which is also the response i had which was like is what the hell man This is like obviously the most important liberty issue of our lifetimes, maybe, you know, since World War II, this is a crisis we've got to speak out. But let's actually look at the LNC instead of just kind of like, you know, theorizing about, well, I would just be better, you know, let's actually break it down. So here's how I would have handled it. The first thing you have to do when you get elected to the National Committee is to keep your other officers in the loop. And this is something that the two former chairs, Joe Bishop Hinchman and Nick Starwork did not do. So the first part of the problem started before the lockdowns It's because there's a lack of communication and trust between the people at the top of the hierarchy. Um, you've got to build those relationships and you've got to then you've got to build your relationships with the rest of the board and you've got to set the tone so that people understand you're the leader and you're, you're setting an example and there are people to they need to look up to you and you need to be courageous and you've got to sort of balance that right like being courageous with also being um compassionate and sensitive to the needs of the people who are around you and the country, you know, at at broader range as well. But then obviously the next thing you got to do is you got to speak out against lockdowns. As soon as it happens, you need to be having your finger on the pulse. You need to be the first one there and you need to set an example for other people to follow. Sometimes when you have a board full of timid or nervous people, as we did on the LNC, you have to start by meeting them where they're at. Now, when I'm running in the future, I anticipate that we're going to have a lot of other bold, courageous people on the LNC, But the reality is that's not what we've had the last two years. And rather than beating them up about it constantly on social media, maybe they need a little bit of support. So I would have made a plan that started out with a little bit softer messaging that I would have wanted initially, because that's what they would have been comfortable with. And maybe the only thing that would have passed if we had to vote on it. When I've got everybody on board and feeling good about it, then we start to crank it up over the next couple of weeks as people become more comfortable and adjust to the messaging. Um, does that? And and also, I'm sorry, I'm going on a rant here. It also you have to sort of decide how you're going to make decisions, and there are a lot of different decision making styles and leadership styles. You need to have someone. When this is the third largest political party in the most powerful country in the world, so this is no joke, right? We have to put people on the board who are competent and can make decisions under pressure. You need to understand that when things are in like a state of flux, you need to meet every couple of weeks and we have to step, we have to establish short-term goals when you're in a crisis. So we ha- we need to establish short-term goals for messaging. If we're in like, oh, lockdowns just happened. We don't know what to do. Okay. This is our one week goal. This is our two week goal. We reassess where we're at. What's the federal government saying? What are the states saying? And then you take it from there. And as you start to build momentum and a direction based on your short-term crisis planning, then you can start to incorporate that into a longer range goal. Um, So that's, in a nutshell, how I would have approached it back then in 2020. I wish I had run in 2020. I ended up announcing right after all this happened.
0: Well, your timing now is is impeccable because this is now the, the topic of conversation, especially we're starting to see a lot of Democrat politicians starting to say the things we were saying a year ago. It's funny how they must have just gotten all their internal polling results coming out all at the same time and realize that November is nine months away. So all of a sudden they start scrambling because, yeah, now we're seeing this is pretty much just reaffirming why we have been as consistent as we have been, not just the, the voices here in the opposition, but really the voices who are standing for reason, for for just common sense. Anyone who could look at the data and can look at just basic epidemiology could see that a lot of the, the policies that were being promoted weren't really aimed at curtailing the virus but it was really just to make you feel good, to make you feel like government's doing something. And right. the, and, and the way that, honestly, Angela, you, you mentioned you would approach the messaging is exactly how we did it here at the show. I think for the first two, three weeks, your average person was scared. They were like, I don't know, like, you know, I don't know what I don't know. I'm not going to go out and make a a definitive yes, no black, white statement based on my not knowing something. So we kind of all wanted to get as much information as possible. You saw states like Florida, like South Dakota, who were like, hold up, let's kind of look at the data first before we start making these crazy rash decisions. And then all of a sudden you could figure out, okay, it's the old people who are getting hit by this pretty much. And, you know, every now and then you'll have maybe a little bit of a middle-aged person getting hit, but by and large, this is Impacting people who are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, so maybe shutting down society isn't a great idea. And at that point, I think it was beginning of April. We pretty much knew that shutting down society was not going to give us a better, tangible outcome relative to you know going through and trying to, to you know live, let COVID run rampant, right? And that was the the alternative. That was you know you want to kill grandma, you want to go get a haircut, like. And that's I'm I'm at the point now. I think and I think everybody else is at the point now that we see how those were being used to not make any real points. They are used to, to keep you in line. They were used to make you feel bad for going outside of the collective group thing. So thank God we, we're now at a point where your average person not only is starting to enter into these conversations that we have been having, but now, Angela, they're kind of on our, our team. They're, they're starting to say the things that we've been saying, and we're seeing that reflected in the messaging from even the Democrats. So I asked this question to Tony, and I'll ask you as well. Based on that being said, who the heck should we be talking to? Who is our target market, number one? And then number two, with that target market, what are there, would you say, top three issues? Now we kind of discussed one of them, but what would you say would be some other top issues that we should be meeting them where they're at and discussing with them along the way?
1: Absolutely. Okay, so the National Party, to my knowledge, and I have checked and looked, has never done a broad Uh, demographic study so we're going to be changing that so what that means is we have not been able to actually identify who our target market is Uh, it's my opinion that we have instead at the national level been advertising to people who we wish were our target market but they are definitely not preach Like, uh, like progressives like progressives so that's, that's not a good decision. So the first thing we need to do is actually do demographic studies to define our target market. Now, my personal opinion is that our target market should be, and it probably is, people who are truth seekers, who are suspicious of government, and who are open-minded, and who are not hyper-emotional. So they're more a little bit more rationally minded, and they don't get easily triggered by things they see on social media. That is a specific demographic of people. I would, for example, people who listen to Tim Pool, people who listen to Joe Rogan. They're not all necessarily libertarian, but they're liberty inclined in some way. Um, On the right, that's going to be people who are very passionate about medical freedom, gun rights, people who are concerned about inflation. It's not going to be so much people who are hardcore, build-a-wall MAGA types. Uh, It doesn't mean that. We shouldn't try to do outreach to those people, but they're not at the top of our demographic hierarchy. On the left, it's gonna be what I call the heretical left, people who have been cast out because they are very pro-free speech. They are anti-lockdown and anti-mandate, and they're probably not all the way with us on economics, but they're open-minded and interested to listen to us. People who really like uh, Glenn Beck and Jimmy Dore, for example, those people on the left are gonna be open-minded enough to listen to us. and yeah, you know, I'm not going to get into it all now, but I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we can break down demographics. There's geographic, there's a uh, psychographic, there, there's all kinds of marketing segments. And I definitely do intend to dig into that so that we can get a solid answer and share that with our state parties, which is well, also very important.
0: The the fact that you're even taking that step, Angela, I think is frankly shocking that that hasn't been taken yet. So thank you for at least <laughs> how, how did we get to this point? We're, we're. Going back to something you said earlier, and I actually – I said this to Tony on the show. We are the third largest political party in the United States, and it's astonishing to me that we have so much unprofessionalism in so many different areas. Yep. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm working with organizations, you know, I don't mean to bring in my day job, but like I'm working with your, your your mom and pop shops and they're investing tens of thousands of dollars into cybersecurity solutions because they need to, because they see it as a necessary requirement for them. It's the cost of doing business. And I look at the LP and there are so many costs of doing business that we just haven't taken the step to do. And frankly, it's astonishing, the fact that we are at that point. So I, I guess this would be a great opportunity to turn the conversation exactly how I do with Tony as well, and that is, well, let's paint that picture. Because right now, your average libertarian, if they identify with the big L, I can almost guarantee they feel a little disjaded, um, especially after the past few years and seeing the LP really kind of be a laughing stock, unfortunately, which... Let's be real. We kind of have gotten in our own way every now and then, so we, we kind of have to look in the mirror at some point. But where do you see us if if we have the Angela McArdle chairship? Uh, what's the official term, by the way? Is it chairwoman, chairlady?
1: I say chairman because apparently I'm a horrible misogynist, but, you know.
0: Okay. Well, Chairman McCardle, there you go. Uh, what would that uh, look like in terms of the LP from a national's perspective, um, how we're reaching out to other folks, but also how would you see us moving forward electorally? Because I dare say that is one of the roles of the LP okay. is to help get people elected to office. So where do you see us going in that uh, venture as well?
1: Absolutely. Okay. So there are a couple of things that I think are very important and that this is part of my strategic plan for the national party. We need to At the national level, we need to elevate the voices of candidates at the state and local level who are running in either one electable, winnable races and using bold messaging or running in very high profile, controversial races and using bold messaging. So an example of a high profile race that's not necessarily going to be a winner, but it's going to get national attention is Shane Hazel's case. Uh, He's running for governor in Georgia. So elevating him does a lot, right? It does, it does a lot of things. It's obviously giving some help for our candidates, because our candidates deserve national attention, especially when they're getting on like Fox Kennedy, you know, Kennedy show on Fox and all that. They're already getting it. Why aren't we capitalizing on that? Hello. Um, it also helps for their ballot access fight, because Georgia, Georgia is, is unique. They have ballot access, but you've got to get like thousands and thousands of signatures if you want to run for anything that's not at the state level. It's very annoying. Uh, so that helps them because it makes more people aware of our brand and shows how engaging and passionate our candidates are. Uh, now, by the same token, we need to do the same thing for local winnable races. For example, in California, we have Kelly Carden, who's running for a county board of supervisors position in Kern County. He's been going to all of his uh, county supervisor meetings and a lot of school board meetings and really uh, getting people fired up and excited. And the issues that he talks about, like mask mandates for children, uh, school choice education, these are national issues. So it does matter. Those are the sort of things that we can do for candidates um, when we don't have the funds to do ballot access drives. But I do believe that stronger messaging and better leadership is going to increase our donations and that's going to give us more money for ballot access. Another thing that we need to do for candidates is we need to fine tune and sort of recreate the candidate support committee. We need to work on obviously external marketing and share all of those resources with our candidates and our state parties. But we also need to work on our internal marketing so that the state parties and the candidates that we have, they actually know that we have valuable resources now and that it's not a joke. Uh, for example, you know, Kara Schultz works really hard. she does all these trainings, and the one that I attended was was well attended, but I, I think that um by and large, they're very underattended and it's because people don't have faith in the National Party. So that's uh, that's some of what it'll look like at least on the the candidate perspective when I'm chairing the National Party. Brian, you're muted.
0: There we go. <laughs> Good call, Angela. You're, you should be the host. No, I said you mentioned Kelly. You mentioned Shane. Um, we've had them on the show, and the audience knows those names. They're, they're familiar because they've been on the, the path leading these conversations, showing how to have these conversations. And actually, we talked about this when um, they were on the show, is what are some of the most effective ways to reach out to people? And guess what? Both Shane and Kelly are are taking what we've talked about here on the show – And to your point, now they're bringing them into real life and they're making waves. They're showing people that you can get in front of your average person who is concerned about the prospects of where the country is headed and meet them on the issues they actually care about in the area they're actually caring about them in this case. You mentioned Kelly going to actual school board meetings and getting people riled up. I hear him on local radio all the time. He's absolutely crushing it, and that's because he's out there and he's entering into uncomfortable conversations with people who are not already libertarians. That, I think, is super, super important, and also to make sure that we're not going after the people we want to be our audience. I think that right there right. is one of the, the best parts you said there, Angela. we we got to stop going after the people that we want to be our target market. We have to instead just look and see who is our target market and then we have to adapt to that and, and react to that otherwise we're just going to be you know we're going to be almost going in circles trying to to better ourselves but at the same point in time we're, we're just making ourselves feel better and we're not bringing anybody else new so that's not a way to grow as a matter of fact it's a way to die so with that being said and that's not a really positive way to end the show, but I'm going to turn to you, Angela. Um, maybe we can put put some uh, nice positivity on the, the show here as we wrap things up. So, Angela, final thoughts here for the audience and maybe some things you want people to take away today. And obviously, they want to continue the conversation. Where can they go ahead and find you and also support you for chair? Absolutely. You know, what I want to convey more than anything is that,
1: you know, I have a beautiful vision for the Libertarian Party And I want the people who are already in the Libertarian Party right now to be a part of it. I really do believe that we can be a party that people value and that resonates with people's values and reflects just our innate human desire for freedom. We've got to take it to the next level, though. This is sort of our last chance, in my opinion. Like we can't fumble the ball. This is if we if we don't speak out boldly against mandates and lockdowns, we are going to be relegated to the dusty pages of history and, and forgotten. So now is the time and, um, and I'm ready, you know, I'm, I'm ready to lead that, lead that charge for everyone. So if you want to follow along and see what I'm up to and see some of the other resources and materials that I'm also putting out for, for candidates and state parties, you can go to Angela McArdle.com and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Angela for LNC chair. I've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up and definitely, Stay, uh, stay alert for more updates on the LA Medical Freedom Initiative to overturn the vaccine mandate.
0: Fantastic. And what we'll do is we'll make that easy for you folks. We'll include all of those links for both Angela's social media as well as her website in the show notes. And by the way, we'll also make it easy for you folks. Uh, we'll include the entire transcript for today's episode in the show notes as well. All you gotta do, go to your podcast catcher, click the little artwork, and it'll bring you right to today's episode there at briannicholshow.com. Plus, all 438, 39 episodes we have here in the program. So uh, yeah, you have your treasure trove to dig through, including, as Angela mentioned, her past two appearances which we will obviously make sure we include there in the show notes as well. But with that being said, Angela McCArnell, she's running for chair of the Libertarian Party, and she joins us again on today's episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe. Want to help us reach more people? Give the show a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Find us at com and download the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me on social media at liberty and consider donating to the show at BrianNicholsShow.com forward slash support. The Brian Nichols Show is supported by viewers like you. Thank you to our patrons, Daryl Schmitz, Laura Stanley, Michael Lima, Mitchell Mankiewicz, Cody Johns, Craig DaCosta, and the We Are Libertarians Network. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.